We've just released the entire back catalogue of Send Me to Sleep. Many episodes, which were previously only available to premium subscribers, are now publicly available and completely free, including The Wizard of Oz, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, Around the World in 80 Days, and so many more. So be sure to check out our back catalogue, so you never miss out on a good night's rest. Good evening. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the world's sleepiest podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm here to help calm your mind and send you into a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading Chapter 3 of Emily of New Moon by L. M. Montgomery. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 3 A Hot Bout of Kin I remember the funeral, Father. I remember it distinctly. You were standing in the middle of the room, holding me in your arms, and Mother was lying just before us in a long, black box. And you were crying, and I couldn't think why. And I wondered why Mother looked so white and wouldn't open her eyes. And I leaned down and touched her cheek, and oh, it was so cold. It made me shiver. And somebody in the room said, Poor little thing. And I was frightened and put my face down on your shoulder. Yes, I recall that. Your mother died very suddenly. I don't think we'll talk about it. The Murrays all came to the funeral. The Murrays have certain traditions, and they live up to them very strictly. One of them is that nothing but candles shall be burned for light at new moon. And another is that no quarrel must be carried past the grave. They came when she was dead. They would have come when she was ill. If they had known, I will say that much for them. And they behave very well, oh, very well indeed. They were not the Murrays of New Moon for nothing. Your Aunt Elizabeth wore her best black satin dress to the funeral. For any other funeral but a Murray's. Second best would have done. 
and they made no serious objection when I said your mother would be buried in the star plot in Charlottestown Cemetery. They would have liked to take her back to the old Murray burying ground in Blairwater. They had their own private burying ground, you know. No indiscriminate graveyard for them. But your Uncle Wallace handsomely admitted that a woman should belong to her husband's family in death, as in life. And they offered to take you and bring you up, to give you your mother's place. I refused to let them have you, then. Did I do right, Emily? Yes, 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 whispered Emily, with a hug at every yes. I told Oliver Murray. It was he who spoke to me about you. That as long as I lived, I would not be parted for my child. He said, If you ever change your mind, let us know. But I did not change my mind. Not even three years later, when my doctor told me I must give up work. If you don't, I give you a year, he said. If you do, and live out of doors all you can, I give you three, or possibly four. He was a good prophet. I came out here, and we've had four lovely years together, haven't we, small dear one? Yes, oh yes. Those years, and what I've taught you in them, are the only legacy I can leave you, Emily. We've been living on a tiny income I have from a life interest that was left me in an old uncle's estate, an uncle who died before I was married. The estate goes to a charity now, and this little house is only a rented one. From a worldly point of view, I've certainly been a failure. But your mother's people will care for you. I know that. The Murray pride will guarantee so much, if nothing else. And they can't help loving you. Perhaps I should have sent them before. Perhaps I ought to do it yet. But I have pride of a kind too. The stars are not entirely traditionless, and the Murrays said some very bitter things to me when I married your mother. Will I send to New Moon and ask them to come, Emily? No, said Emily, almost fiercely. She did not want anyone to come between her and her father for the few precious days left. The thought was horrible to her. It would be bad enough if they had to come afterwards, 
but she would not mind anything much then. We'll stay together to the very end then, little Emily child. We won't be parted for a minute, and I want you to be brave. You mustn't be afraid of anything, Emily. Death isn't terrible. The universe is full of love, and spring comes everywhere. And in death, you open and shut a door. There are beautiful things on the other side of the door. I'll find your mother there. I've doubted many things, but I've never doubted that. Sometimes I've been afraid that she would get so far ahead of me in the ways of eternity that I'd never catch up. But I feel now that she's waiting for me and will wait for you. We won't hurry. We'll loiter and linger till you catch up with us. I wish you could take me right through the door with you, whispered Emily. After a little while, you won't wish that. You have yet to learn how kind time is, and life has something for you. I feel it. Go forward to meet it fearlessly, dear. I know you don't feel like that just now, but you will remember my words by and by. I feel just now, said Emily, who couldn't bear to hide anything from father, that I don't like God any more. Douglas Starr laughed, the laugh Emily liked best. It was such a dear laugh. She caught her breath over the dearness of it. She felt his arms tighten round her. Yes, you do, honey. You can't help liking God. He is love itself, you know. You mustn't mix him up with Ellen Green's God, of course. Emily didn't know exactly what father meant, but all at once she found that she wasn't afraid any longer, and the bitterness had gone out of her sorrow, and the unbearable pain out of her heart. She felt as if love was all about her and around her, breathed out from some great, invisible, hovering tenderness. One couldn't be afraid or bitter where love was, and love was everywhere. Father was going through the door. No, he was going to lift a curtain. She liked that thought better, because a curtain wasn't as hard and fast as a door, and he would slip into that world of which the flash had given her a glimpse. He would be there in its beauty, never very far away from her. She could bear anything if she could only feel that father 
wasn't very far away from her. Just beyond that wavering curtain, Douglas Starr held her until she fell asleep, and then, in spite of his weakness, he managed to lay her down in her little bed. She will love deeply. She will suffer terribly. She will have glorious moments to compensate, as I have had, as her mother's people will deal with her. So may God deal with them, he murmured brokenly. Douglas Starr lived two weeks more. In after years, when the pain had gone out of their recollection, Emily thought they were the most precious of her memories. They were beautiful weeks, beautiful and not sad. And one night, when he was lying on the couch in the sitting room, with Emily beside him in the old wing chair, he went past the curtain, went so quietly and easily that Emily did not know he was gone until she felt the sudden strange stillness of the room. There was no breathing in it but her own. Father, Father, she cried, then she screamed for Ellen. Ellen Green told the Murrays when they came that Emily had behaved really well when you took everything into account. To be sure, she had cried all night and hadn't slept a wink. None of the Maywood people who came frocking kindly in to help could comfort her. But when morning came, her tears were all shed. She was pale and quite docile. That's right now, said Ellen. That's what comes of being properly prepared. Your pa was so mad at me for warning you that he wasn't rightly civil to me since, and him a dying man. But I don't hold any grudge against him. I did my duty. Mrs. Hubbard's fixing up a black dress for you, and it'll be ready by supper time. Your ma's people will be here tonight, so they've telegraphed and I'm bound they'll find you looking respectable. They're well off, and they'll provide for you. Your pa hasn't left a cent, but there ain't any debts. I'll say that for him. Have you been in to see the body? Don't call him that, cried Emily, wincing. It was horrible to hear father called that. Why not? If you ain't the queerest child, he makes a better looking corpse than I thought he would, what with being so wasted and all. He was always a pretty man, though too thin. Ellen Green, said Emily suddenly, 
if you say any more of those things about father, I will put a black curse on you. Ellen Green stared. I don't know what on earth you mean, but that's no way to talk to me, after all I've done for you. You'd better not let the Murrays hear you talking like that, or they won't want much to do with you. The black curse indeed. Well, here's gratitude. Emily's eyes smarted. She was just a lonely, solitary creature, and she felt very friendless. But she was not at all remorseful for what she had said to Ellen, and she was not going to pretend she was. Come, you here and help me wash these dishes, ordered Ellen. It'll do you good to have something to take up your mind, and then you won't be after putting curses on people who have worked their fingers to the bone for you. Emily, with an eloquent glance at Ellen's hands, went and got the dish towel. Your hands are fat and pudgy, she said. The bones don't show at all. Never mind sassing back. It's awful, with your poor pa dead in there. But if your Aunt Ruth takes you, she'll soon cure you of that. Is Aunt Ruth going to take me? I don't know, but she ought to. She's a widow with no chick or child, and well to do. I don't think I want Aunt Ruth to take me, said Emily deliberately, after a moment's reflection. Well, you won't have the choosing lightly. You ought to be thankful to get a home anywhere. Remember, you're not of much importance. I am important to myself, cried Emily proudly. It'll be some chore to bring you up, muttered Ellen. Your Aunt Ruth is the one to do it, in my opinion. She won't stand no nonsense. A fine woman she is, and the neatest housekeeper on P.E. Island. You could eat off her floor. I don't want to eat off her floor. I don't care if a floor is dirty, as long as the tablecloth is clean. Well, her tablecloths are clean too, I reckon. She's got an elegant house in Shrewsbury with bow windows and wooden lace all round the roof. It's very stylish. It would be a fine home for you. She'd learn you some sense and do you a world of good. I don't want to learn sense and be done a world of good too, cried Emily with a quivering lip. I, I want somebody to love me. Well, you've got to behave yourself if you want people to like you. You're not to blame so much 
your pa has spoiled you. I told him so often, but he just laughed. I hope he ain't sorry for it now. The fact is, Emily Star, you're weird, and folks don't care for weird children. How am I weird? demanded Emily. You talk weird, and you act weird, and at times you look weird, and you're too old for your rage, though that ain't your fault. It comes of never mixing with other children. I've always threatened at your father to send you to school. Learning at home ain't the same thing. But he wouldn't listen to me, of course. I don't say but what you are as far along in book learning as you need to be. But what you want is to learn how to be like other children. In one way, it would be a good thing if your Uncle Oliver would take you, for he's got a big family, but he's not as well off as the rest, so it ain't likely he will. Your Uncle Wallace might, seeing as he reckons himself the head of the family. He's only got a grown-up daughter, but his wife's delicate, or fancies she is. I wish Aunt Laura would take me, said Emily. She remembered that Father had said Aunt Laura was something like her mother. Aunt Laura? She won't have no say in it. Elizabeth's boss at New Moon. Jimmy Murray runs the farm, but he ain't quite all there, I'm told. What part of him isn't there? asked Emily curiously. Laws, it's something about his mind, child. He's a bit simple. Some accident or other when he was a youngster, I've heard. It addled his head, kind of. Elizabeth was mixed up in some way. I've never heard the rights of it. I don't reckon the new moon people will want to be bothered with you. They're awful set in their ways. You take my advice and try to please your Aunt Ruth. Be polite and well behaved. Maybe she'll take a fancy to you. There. That's all the dishes. You'd better go upstairs and be out of the way. Can't I take mice and saucy sow? asked Emily. No, you can't. They'd be company for me, pleaded Emily. Company or no company, you can't have them. They're outside and they'll stay outside. I ain't going to have them tracking all over the house. The floor's been scrubbed. Why didn't you scrub the floor when father was alive? asked Emily. He liked things to be clean. You hardly ever scrubbed it then. Why do you do it now? Listen to her. 
was I to be always scrubbing floors with rheumatism. Get off upstairs, and you'd better lie down a while. I'm going upstairs, but I'm not going to lie down, said Emily. I've got a lot of thinking to do. There's one thing I'd advise you to do, said Ellen, determined to lose no chance of doing her duty. And that is to kneel down and pray to God to make you a good and respectful and grateful child. Emily paused at the foot of the stairs and looked back. Father says I wasn't to have anything to do with your God, she said gravely. Ellen gasped foolishly, but could not think of any reply to this heathenish statement. She appealed to the universe. Did anyone ever hear the like? I know what your God is like, said Emily. I saw his picture in that Adam and Eve book of yours. He has whiskers and wears a nightgown. I don't like him, but I like father's God. And what is your father's God like, if I may ask, demanded Ellen sarcastically. Emily hadn't any idea what father's God was like, but she was determined not to be possessed by Ellen. He is clear as the moon, fair as the sun, and terrible as any army with banners, she triumphed. Well, you're bound to have the last word, but the Murrays will teach you what's what, said Ellen, giving up the argument. They're strict Presbyterians, and won't hold by any of your father's awful notions. Get off upstairs. Emily went up to the south room, feeling very desolate. There isn't anybody in the world who loves me now, she said, as she curled up on her bed by the window. But she was determined she would not cry. The Murrays, who had hated her father, should not see her crying. She felt that she detested them all, except perhaps Aunt Laura. How very big and empty the world had suddenly became. Nothing was interesting any more. It did not matter that the little squat apple tree between Adam and Eve had become a thing of rose and snow. It did not matter that the little squat apple tree between Adam and Eve had become a thing of rose and snow beauty, that the hills beyond the hollow were of a green silk, purple misted, that the daffodils were out in the garden, that the birches were hung all over with golden tassels, that the wind woman was blowing white young clouds across the sky. 
none of these things had any charm or consolation for her now. In her inexperience, she believed they never would have again. But I promised father I'd be brave, she whispered, clenching her little fists. And I will, and I won't let the Murrays see I'm afraid of them. I won't be afraid of them. When the far-off whistle of the afternoon train blew beyond the hills, Emily's heart began to beat. She clasped her hands and lifted her face. Please help me, Father's God, not Ellen's God, she said. Help me to be brave and not cry before the Murrays. Soon after, there was the sound of wheels below, and voices, loud, decided voices. Then Ellen came puffing up the stairs with the black dress, a sleazy thing of cheap merino. Mrs. Hubbard just got it done in time, thanks be. I wouldn't they had the Murrays see you not in a black for the world. They can't say I haven't done my duty. They're all here, the new moon people, and Oliver and his wife, your Aunt Addie, and Wallace and his wife, your Aunt Eva, and Aunt Ruth, Mrs. Dutton her name is. There, you're ready now. Come along. Can I put my Venetian beads on? asked Emily. Did ever any mortal. Venetian beads with a mourning dress. Shame on you. Is this a time to be thinking of vanity? It isn't vanity, cried Emily. Father gave me those beads last Christmas and I want to show the Murrays that I've got something. No more of your nonsense. Come along, I say. Mind your manners. There's a good deal depends on the impression you make on them. Emily walked rigidly downstairs, before Ellen and into the parlour. Eight people were sitting around it, and she instantly felt the critical gaze of sixteen stranger eyes. She looked very pale and plain in her black dress. The purple shadows left by weeping made her large eyes look too large and hollow. She was desperately afraid, and she knew it, but she would not let the Murrays see it. She held up her head and faced the ordeal before her gallantly. This, said Ellen, turning her head around by the shoulder, is your Uncle Wallace. Emily shuddered and put out a cold hand. She did not like Uncle Wallace. She knew that at once. He was black and grim and ugly with frowning, bristly brows and a stern, unpitying mouth. 
he had big pouches under his eyes and carefully trimmed black side whiskers. Emily decided then and there that she did not admire side whiskers. How do you do, Emily? he said coldly. And just as coldly, he bent forward and kissed her cheek. A sudden wave of indignation swept over Emily's soul. How dared he kiss her? He had hated her father and disowned her mother. She would have none of his kisses. Flash quick, she snatched her handkerchief from her pocket and wiped her outraged cheek. Well, well, exclaimed a disagreeable voice from the other side of the room. Uncle Wallace looked as if he would like to say a great many things, but couldn't think of them. Ellen, with a grunt of despair, propelled Emily to the next sitter. Your Aunt Eva, she said. Aunt Eva was sitting huddled up in a shawl. She had the fretful face of the imaginary invalid. She shook hands with Emily and said nothing. Neither did Emily. Your Uncle Oliver, announced Ellen. Emily rather liked Uncle Oliver's appearance. He was big and fat and rosy and jolly looking. She thought she would not mind so much if he kissed her, in spite of his bristly white moustache. But Uncle Oliver had learned Uncle Wallace's lesson. I'll give you a quarter for a kiss he whispered genially. A joke was Uncle Oliver's idea of being kind and sympathetic, but Emily did not know this and resented it. I don't sell my kisses, she said, lifting her head as haughtily as any Murray of them all could do. Uncle Oliver chuckled and seemed infinite amused and not a bit offended. But Emily heard a sniff across the room. Aunt Addie was next. She was as fat and rosy and jolly looking as her husband, and she gave Emily's cold hand a nice, gentle squeeze. How are you, dear? she said. That Dear touched Emily and thwarted her a trifle, but the next in turn froze her up instantly again. It was Aunt Ruth. Emily knew it was Aunt Ruth before Ellen said so, and she knew it was Aunt Ruth who had well-welled and sniffed. She knew the cold grey eyes, the prim, dull brown hair, the short, stout figure, the thin, pinched, merciless mouth. Aunt Ruth held out 
the tips of her fingers, but Emily did not take them. Shake hands with your aunt, said Ellen in an angry whisper. She does not want to shake hands with me, said Emily distinctly, and so I am not going to do it. Aunt Ruth folded her scorned hands back on her black silk lap. You are a very ill-bred child, she said, but of course it was only what was to be expected. Emily felt a sudden compunction. Had she cast a reflection on her father by her behaviour? Perhaps after all, she should have shaken hands with Aunt Ruth. But it was too late now. Ellen had already jerked her on. This is your cousin, Mr. James Murray, said Ellen, in the disgusted tone of one who gives up something as a bad job and is only anxious to be done with it. Cousin Jimmy, Cousin Jimmy, said that individual. Emily looked steadily at him and liked him at once without any reservations. He had a little, rosy, elfish face with a forked grey beard, his hair curled over his head in a most unmurry-like mop of glossy brown and his large, brown eyes were as kind and frank as a child's. He gave Emily a hearty handshake, though he looked askant at the lady across from him while doing it. Hello, pussy, he said. Emily began to smile at him, but her smile was, as always, so low in developing that Ellen had whisked her on before it was in full flower, and it was Aunt Laura who got the benefit of it. Aunt Laura started and paled. Juliet's smile, she said, half under her breath, and again Aunt Ruth sniffed. Aunt Laura did not look like anyone else in the room. She was almost pretty, with her delicate features and the heavy coils of pale, sleek, fair hair, faintly greyed, pinned closely all around her head. But it was her eyes that won Emily. They were such round, blue, blue eyes. One never quite got over the shock of their blueness, and when she spoke, it was in a beautiful, soft voice. You poor dear, she said, and put her arms around Emily for a gentle hug. Emily returned the hug, and had a narrow escape then, from letting the Murrays see her cry. All that saved her was the fact that Ellen suddenly pushed her on into the corner 
by the window. And this is your Aunt Elizabeth. Yes, this was Aunt Elizabeth, no doubt about that, and she had on a stiff, black satin dress, so stiff and rich that Emily felt sure it must be her very best. This pleased Emily. Whatever Aunt Elizabeth thought of her father, at least she had paid him the respect of her best dress. And Aunt Elizabeth was quite fine-looking in a tall, thin, austere style, with clear-cut features and a massive cronet of iron-grey hair under her black lace cap. But her eyes, though steel-blue, were as cold as Aunt Ruth's, and her long, thin mouth was compressed severely. Under her cool, appraising glance, Emily retreated into herself and shut the door of her soul. She would have liked to please Aunt Elizabeth, who was boss at New Moon, but she felt she could not do it. Aunt Elizabeth shook hands and said nothing, the truth being that she did not know exactly what to say. Elizabeth Murray would not have felt put about before King or Governor-General. The Murray pride would have carried her through there, but she did feel disturbed in the presence of this alien level-gazing child, who had already shown that she was anything but meek and humble. Though Elizabeth Murray would never have admitted it, she did not want to be snubbed as Wallace and Ruth had been. Go and sit on the sofa, ordered Ellen. Emily sat on the sofa, with her eyes cast down, a slight, black, indomitable little figure. She folded her hands on her lap and crossed her ankles. They should see she had manners. Ellen had retreated to the kitchen, thanking her stars that that was over. Emily did not like Ellen but she felt deserted when Ellen had gone. She was alone now before the bar of Mary opinion. She would have given anything to be out of the room. Yet in the back of her mind, a design was forming of writing all about it in the old account book. It would be interesting She could describe them all. She knew she could. She had the very word for Aunt Ruth's eyes. Stone grey. They were just like stones, as hard and cold and relentless. Then a pang tore through her heart. Father could never again read what she wrote in the account book. Still, 
she felt that she would rather like to write it all out. How could she best describe Aunt Laura's eyes? They were such beautiful eyes. Just to call them blue meant nothing. Hundreds of people had blue eyes. Oh, she had it. Wells of blue. That was the very thing. And then the flash came. It was the first time since the dreadful night when Ellen had met her on the doorstep. She had thought it could never come again. And now, in this most unlikely place and time, it had come. She had seen, with other eyes than those of sense, the wonderful world behind the veil. Courage and hope flooded her cold little soul, like a wave of rosy light. She lifted her head and looked about her undauntedly, brazenly, Aunt Ruth afterwards declared. Yes, she would write them all out in the account book, describe every last one of them. Sweet Aunt Laura, nice cousin Jimmy, grim old Uncle Wallace, and moon-faced Uncle Oliver, stately Aunt Elizabeth, and detestable Aunt Ruth. She's a delicate-looking child, said Aunt Eva suddenly, in her fretful, colourless voice. Well, what else could you expect, said Aunt Addie, with a sigh that seemed to Emily to hold some dire significance. She's too pale. If she had a little colour, she wouldn't be bad-looking. I don't know who she looks like, said Uncle Oliver, staring at Emily. She's not a Murray, that is plain to see, said Aunt Elizabeth, decidedly and disapprovingly. They are talking about me as if I wasn't here, thought Emily, her heart swelling with indignation over the indecency of it. I wouldn't call her a star either, said Uncle Oliver. Seems to me she's more like the birds. She's got her grandmother's hair and eyes. She's got old George Bird's nose, said Aunt Ruth, in a tone that left no doubt as to her opinion of George's nose. She's got her father's forehead, said Aunt Eva, also disapprovingly. She has her mother's smile, said Aunt Laura, but in such a low tone that nobody heard her. And Juliet's long lashes. Hadn't Juliet very long lashes, said Aunt Addie. Emily had reached the limit of her endurance. You make me feel as if I was made up of scraps and patches, she burst out 
indignantly. The Murrays stared at her. Perhaps they felt some compunction, for after all, none of them were ogres, and all were human, more or less. Apparently, nobody could think of anything to say, but the shocked silence was broken by a chuckle from Cousin Jimmy, a low chuckle, full of mirth and free from malice. That's right, Puss, he said. Stand up to them. Take your own part. Jimmy, said Aunt Ruth. Jimmy subsided. Aunt Ruth looked at Emily. When I was a little girl, she said, I never spoke until I was spoken to. But if nobody ever spoke, until they were spoken to, there would be no conversation, said Emily argumentatively. I never answered back, Aunt Ruth went on severely. In those days, little girls were trained properly. We were polite and respectful to our elders. We were taught our place, and we kept it. I don't believe you ever had much fun, said Emily, and then gasped in horror. She hadn't meant to say that out loud. She had only meant to think it. But she had such an old habit of thinking aloud to father. Fun, said Aunt Ruth in a shocked tone. I did not think of fun when I was a little girl. No, I know, said Emily gravely. Her voice and manner were perfectly respectful, for she was anxious to atone for her involuntary lapse. Yet Aunt Ruth looked as if she would like to box her ears. The child was pitying her insulting her by being sorry for her because of her prim, impeccable childhood. It was unendurable, especially in a star. And that abominable Jimmy was a chuckling again. Elizabeth should suppress him. Fortunately, Ellen Green appeared at this juncture and announced supper. You've got to wait, she whispered to Emily. There ain't room for you at the table. Emily was glad. She knew she could not eat a bite under the murray eyes. Her aunts and uncles filed out stiffly, without looking at her. All except Aunt Laura who turned at the door and blew her a tiny, furtive kiss. Before Emily could respond, Ellen Green had shut the door. Emily was left all alone in the room that was filling with twilight shadows. The pride that had sustained her in the presence of the Murrays 
suddenly failed her, and she knew that tears were coming. She went straight to the closed door at the end of the parlour, opened it, and went in. Her father's coffin stood in the centre of the small room, which had been a bedroom. It was heaped with flowers. The Murrays had done the proper thing in that, as in all else. The great anchor of white roses Uncle Wallace had brought stood up aggressively on the small table at the head. Emily could not see her father's face for Aunt Ruth's heavily fragrant pillow of white hyacinths lying on the glass, and she dared not move it. But she curled herself up on the floor and laid her cheek against the polished side of the casket. They found her there asleep when they came in after supper. Aunt Laura lifted her up and said, I'm going to take the poor child up to bed. She's worn right out. Emily opened her eyes and looked drowsily about her. Can I have Mike? she said. Who is Mike? My cat, my big grey cat. A cat, exclaimed Aunt Elizabeth in a shocked tone. You must not have a cat in your bedroom. Why not, for once, pleaded Laura. Certainly not, said Aunt Elizabeth. A cat is a most unwholesome thing in a sleeping apartment. I'm surprised at you, Laura. Take the child up to bed and see that there are plenty of bedclothes. It's a cold night. But let me hear no more talk of sleeping with cats. Mike is a clean cat, said Emily. He washes himself every day. Take her up to bed, Laura, said Aunt Elizabeth. Ignoring Emily. Aunt Laura yielded meekly. She carried Emily upstairs, helped her undress, and tucked her into bed. Emily was very sleepy, but before she was wholly asleep, she felt something soft and warm and purry and companionable snuggling down by her shoulder. Aunt Laura had sneaked down, found Mike, and brought him up to her. Aunt Elizabeth never knew, and Ellen Green dared not say a word in protest, for was not Laura a Murray of New Moon?'